Now the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And my name is Greg Knapp. I'm in for Greg Columbus. I'm a speaker, author, coach, and talk show host. And you can find out more about me at gregorybnapp.com. That's K-N-A-P-P, as in Peter and Peter. And I'm joined by David French. He's a writer for National Review. Find his work there at National Review Online. And a Time columnist. He's in for Jim Garrity. So once again, the all-substitute three martini lunch on a good Friday. Wait, Greg, you're a, uh, you're a coach. Yeah. What do yeah. you coach? Well, I help people, you know, uh, how people get kind of stuck in their life. They feeling like they're kind of drifting. Ah, uh, I help them refocus on what their purpose is and see how they can use that in every phase of their life. I actually wrote a book called go how to find and pursue your passionate purpose. Oh, outstanding. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure what kind of coach because I was going to ask you about um, the Houston Rockets use of the pick and roll. Ah, I did play basketball in high school and I coached, I coached little five-year-olds basketball, but that's about as far as I got. <laughs> that's, that's as far as I've gotten to. I've coached young kids in basketball. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Oh, it's the best. It's the yeah. best. I, 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 my, my biggest thing I learned as a coach with five-year-olds was before we do anything, we run around the entire gym about 20 times. They get really tired. And then they'll be quiet and listen to me for a minute. Well, you know, I did that, except <laughs> I did it with the parents so that they would calm down. <laughs> That's yeah. even better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's get it rolling here. It's, we've got a good martini, a bad martini, and a crazy martini as always. Let's start with the good martini. And David, I think it's funny how quickly the goalposts move and the topic changes before we actually finish like the most important topic and the most important thing in the whole Mueller report was did we actually have a presidential candidate or his campaign or Americans conspiring with a foreign power that is not exactly our friend to try to fix an election and the definitive answer on that was no and immediately yeah. we moved from that so maybe we should hover on that for just a second yeah, we need to hover on that and we need to hover on the obstruction of justice point too as well. So I think, you know, the, the bar, the bar made it very clear in his first letter a couple of weeks ago that Trump did not conspire with the Russian government. His campaign did not conspire with the Russian government. And those of us who are not sort of deep in the fever swamps were not, did not think that the report would, would refute bar on that point. Like why on earth would you say, he didn't conspire. And then two weeks later, point out, put out a report that said he did conspire. Right. So it was very much expected that the report would, um, would vindicate Barr's top line conclusion there. And so that's important. It's worth reaffirming. Your president is not a traitor. Low bar, I know, but an awful lot of people have spent an awful lot of time trying to connect the dots to prove that he is, and he's not. Well, you look and, at you look at cable TV for the last two years. That I mean, CNN and MSNBC have hung their hat on that, and so have a lot of Democrats that said this this is going to happen. We had Adam Schiff coming out. Oh, there's evidence. You just haven't seen it yet. We had former CIA people and NSA people who tried to act like they had special knowledge that this was true. And to and, and I, we're definitely going to cover that obstruction of justice angle for sure. But to to you know, kind of blaze over that now, these these networks that have covered this for two years acting like this was going to be the bombshell and to just switch to, oh, well, well, what we really meant was obstruction of justice. No, that's not what you meant. You thought that the president was a Russian agent. And, and I, you know, just come on. Yeah. You know, so I think there are 
reporters in the media did a good job and reporters in the media did a bad job. And then there are commentators like Rachel Maddow who, Mm. wow, wow. And then, you know, what I find completely inexcusable, just completely inexcusable are these former Obama intelligence officials who would be on cable news and you put it very well. They implied facts they implied the existence of facts that only they would know, but they can't share because they're still subject to, you know, the, the uh, legal prohibitions against sharing classified information. So they, they created this impression amongst a ton of people that was just flat out wrong. And they, you know, I, they should be held accountable for that. Um, exactly. But, you know, I would say, uh, you know, because uh, we're, we're going to talk about the bad in a minute. So yes. let's just put, a, let's just put a, a, a placeholder on that. But let's talk about obstruction for a minute. And there's an awful lot of people who are saying that Mueller should have concluded that there was obstruction. Uh, they're saying that there was obstruction of justice. And, and, I, and I, I said this on our National Review Editors podcast. When I look at it, there's a lot of bad stuff there, but I don't see obstruction of justice under the statute. And, and here's why. I just, I'll just do this in a nutshell, probably going to write about it at length um, if I, I have the energy after all this. But the, the obstruction of justice statute that, the, that Mueller was looking at is a pretty broad and vague statute. If you read it, um, the way the language indicates that it could read, it gets so broad that it's almost difficult to truly define what obstruction is. So my view is when you're dealing with an allegation of obstruction of justice and the statute is poorly written, you narrowly construe the statute because we don't want people walking around not knowing what's legal and illegal. Um, and, And in fact, Mueller points that out in his conclusion when he declines to sort of say definitively that there is obstruction is, there just wasn't evidence of this sort of uh, unlawful, corrupt intent uh, because in many cases, individuals, including Trump, may not have known that what they were doing could be construed as unlawful. And so that doesn't mean, uh, when you say that, doesn't mean it was good. It doesn't mean it was right. Uh, And then also when we look at previous impeachments of presidents, so you have Clinton and then Nixon, who wasn't actually impeached, but he was on his way to impeachment, the obstruction counts in those articles of impeachment show some pretty bright line conduct that everybody knew was wrong. And it's much more along the lines of perjury and suborning of perjury. In other words, lying yourself or inducing others to lie. And if, if there was conclusive evidence of that in the Mueller report, we might be looking at a whole different scenario. For, so for example, if that discredited BuzzFeed report had been true that there was documentary evidence that Trump directed uh, Michael Cohen to lie about the Trump Tower project, then we'd be in, in, we'd be in obstruction of justice territory. We'd be in a situation where the president would likely be indicted uh, after he left office. That's what we'd be looking at. But there wasn't, there wasn't anything like that. And in fact, the picture that's painted is of a president who tried to do things that might have been obstruction, but his own people just wouldn't do it. Right. And so, um, so I, I think that if you're going to look at the top line legal conclusions, one bright line conclusion is there was no criminal conspiracy with the Russian government. Yay. <laughs> and if you're going to look at another bright line, uh, another top line conclusion, it's a less bright line, but it's, it does not appear that there was un, uh, criminal c- obstruction of justice, and that's also good. 
So that's the good, that's the good news. So that, that's the good martini and I taste, <laughs> and that tastes really good. And, and I'm glad we had a good one. Let's segue into that bad martini. And that's getting into some of the things that showed up about Trump's character, which I think everybody knew. Here's my thing on this, David. There was nothing I saw in this report that made me go, wow, Trump did that. And it's because we know who Trump is and Trump has character flaws. The guy, the <laughs> guy. Right. I mean, but but here's the thing, David, who doesn't know this? It's not a bombshell to me because we knew it when we elected him. We knew that this guy, this guy is a bully. This guy can lie. This guy will try and uh, push people around. I mean, that's why I think I think that's what saved him from obstruction of justice, because it was just Trump being Trump. He's yelling. He's mad. Do this. Do that. Changing his mind every two seconds. Um, you know, that's who the dude is for better, or for worse. That's who he is. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people are like, I really don't like it, but at least his policies are better than what Hillary's would be. Whatever it is, it's not like it's something that you didn't see coming, um, but it's still, when you see it, you're like, oh, gee, here we go. Yeah, so here's, here's there's two ways, there's two things that we should keep in our mind as we read the Mueller report, because we have to realize this is about it's about politics and it's about criminal law. It's about governance of our country and it's about criminal law. So mm-hmm. we just talked about criminal law. Now let's talk about governance of our country. And in that circumstance, if you read this and you come away thinking, I, I, I'm mystified if somebody could read this and come away thinking our country's in the very best of hands. Because what you see is serial lying on a scale that is really stunning when you put it all together. Um, just completely denying plain and obvious facts. You have other people in his orbit lying and lying and lying. Um, I mean, it, it really is amazing. And then there's something even beyond the lying. And this is something where I'm going to disagree with those people who say, Everything we already in here, we already knew about Trump. And I, and I also think it's a little exaggerated that everyone knows that Trump's a, a liar because 76% of Republicans in a poll last year said Trump is truthful all or most of the time, which is just, wow. Yeah, 76% of Republicans. So those of us, you know, you and I, we live, eat, and breathe politics, right? So we know all the stories about Trump. And so we've, we've priced it in. We've said, yeah, this guy lies all the time. Newsflash, he lies all the time. But for huge chunks of Americans, that is a newsflash, believe it or not. I mean, I, I talk all the time to people who say, you know, one of the things I really like about Trump is he tells it like it is. Well, that's the last thing that he does. He tells it like he wants it to be. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that, uh, so getting, just putting it out there, hey, this guy is a absolute relentless serial liar. And so are a bunch of people in his orbit, by the way, is an important thing to educate the American people about. But then there's this other thing that's really interesting and it connects with something else about him. He's not one of the reasons why people wanted him in office is they viewed him as like this really strong guy, whatever his other flaws, he's a strong guy. But what this showed was in a lot of ways, he's really profoundly weak he issues directives that his subordinates don't like, so they ignore. Right. Um, you know, even in not just, you know, people who are strong and powerful in their own right, like Don McGahn, White House counsel, who's a extremely well-respected lawyer, and he can land on his feet anywhere if Trump, you know, was going to dismiss him. 
But somebody like Corey Lewandowski, who was, you know, Trump's discredited former campaign manager of no real stature or independent power at all, and Trump tells him to deliver a message to Jeff Sessions. And when his first effort at doing it doesn't work, he just doesn't do it. Like Corey Lewandowski just ignores the president of the United States of America. And this actually connects with something that's a little bit disturbing about what we're learning about the way he conducts his presidency and other conducts context, he will issue orders that are so sort of out of bounds of what's normal or realistic um, or prudent. He'll issue them in an order and then it will, um, it's almost as if he forgets about or he doesn't follow up. And so people don't know, do I just ignore the president? Do I do what he asked me to do, even though it's really a bad idea? Uh, Do I push back and seek clarification what you know? What do you do? And and you're hearing, uh, and I and you will hear things like, um, you know, and this is a famous incident. Someone takes a letter off his desk to prevent him from signing it. Um, you have situations where they're in national security type situations. How how much do you listen to a tweet, a presidential tweet, or um, an impulsive presidential decision? These things are are really disturbing. And the, and, and the idea, I think it might be eye-opening to a lot of people around the country to know that there's an awful lot of people in the administration who just don't even know when to take their own president seriously. And, and the president doesn't even seem to know himself when he's actually serious. Um, and, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting to me that in some of these vignettes, Trump pushed for something, directed for something to be done. And then just didn't even follow up upon follow up on it to see that it was executed. (laughs) And so this is something that I think is really disturbing as an American to say, okay, the greatest nation in the history history of the world, in my view, is is run by this guy. And the picture painted of this guy is of, of somebody who lies all the time and is incredibly weak, incredibly indecisive. And to the extent that he he exerts himself, he often does it in sort of this spasm of bullying and temper tra- tantrums. And it's just an ugly picture. Yeah, I can see that. And then uh, to to give the other view of that from, like you know, the talk radio listener view that that's what I usually hear. And I fill in for uh, hosts around the country. They would probably say, but David, look at what he's gotten done with the regulations and the tax cuts and, you know, and they'll just, they'll go down a list of things that have been accomplished to say, if he's that ineffective, then how is it that a lot of the agenda that we voted for has gotten accomplished? Now you're right. There's things, legal immigration hasn't been fixed. I mean, there's a lot of things that haven't been fixed, Obamacare, et cetera, but there was a lot that's gotten done. So if it's that out of control, how is anything getting done? Well, you know, let's look at the best thing he's done judges. Mm -hmm. He's, He's delegated that to other people which is fine, which is great. I'm glad he did it because my goodness, I don't want him evaluating judges. He doesn't know anything about it. And so I'm glad that he's done that. The tax plan was Paul Ryan's by and large. Fine. It's a B minus tax plan. But a lot of the things that has been, that have been sort of his signature efforts, um, the borders, a mat, just a mess. Um, the tariffs are, you know, a lot, we could probably, you know, a lot of people might agree to disagree on that, but I think the tariffs are a a real problem. And his, his policy towards North Korea is just a disaster. 
Um, and, and that, you know, his poli- if there's any one foreign policy issue that he owns as him, it is North Korea. I mean, it is on him that he has now had two summits with, um, you know, Kim Jong-un. It is on him that he has praised Kim Jong-un to the heavens. It is on him, you know, the way in which he's conducted that. And it's just a disaster in, in many ways. And so I, I think that there are things that have ha- happened that are good that obviously would not have happened with a Hillary Clinton presidency. I mean, that's absolutely clear. And then there's things that have been, you know, in my view, pretty disastrous. And we haven't even talked about a budget deficit in a time of peace and prosperity that's over a trillion dollars. But, you know, I guess in modern conservatism, we don't talk about that anymore. Well, that, um, drives, that drives me nuts. I'm with you 100 percent. It was, uh, hey, when George W. Bush was in office, we spent more uh, when, we, when he had control of the House and the Senate, too, for a little bit. Right. And it, it doesn't matter who's in power. They just keep spending. And you're supposed to be the government, excuse me, the party of small government and less spending. And it never happens. But to their to their defense, every time they try to cut spending, they're called baby killers and, uh, you know, they don't care about homeless people and they want grandma out in the cold. And it's almost I, I don't know if we've gotten to a point where we can cut spending anymore. Well, and, and I think one thing that we learned in the election is that I don't think the Republican base really wants spending cut. That's much yeah. more of a sort of a niche argument by activists and and sort of, you know, uh, some of the hard, uh, some of the more intellectually and ideologically consistent Tea Party leaders, some of the intellectually and ideologically consistent libertarians and conservatives, but the general public honestly doesn't really care about it at all. And I think that's something that we've learned that's pretty sobering. And that's really our long-term issue because if the public isn't behind it, it's not, ultimately it's not going to happen. Exactly right. And, and that goes all the way back to when George W. Bush tried to partially, just partially privatize social security to save it. Um, No, nobody, you couldn't get enough Republicans to agree with that. And at the ground level, like you're talking about, like registered Republicans, that would be like, whoa, whoa, you can't touch Social Security. Well, if you don't touch it, it's dead because it's already bleeding. It's hemorrhaging money, right? It's already paying out more than it's taking in. Medicare and Medicaid have trillions of unfunded liabilities. These things are all going to come due one day, one way or the other, right? But nobody nobody on either side at the the citizen level, like you're talking about, really seems ready to do anything. So if there's no pressure there, politicians aren't going to do it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and part of it is the nature of the the two parties' bases. You have a much older Republican base um, that is much more dependent on Medicare and Social Security than the Democratic base. And Medicare and Social Security together basically account for the lion's share of our deficit problem. Mm. And then you have a younger Democratic base that's much more increasingly socialist-minded. And the last thing a socialist cares about is a budget deficit. And so, you know, the, these two bases together are kind of reinforcing each other's indifference to um, budgetary constraints. But we've digressed. Yes, we have. I'm sorry about that. All right. So we're at, before we end this bad martini, I wanted to give you one other thing that I've heard from my listeners. When they say Trump tells it like it is, they don't mean, at least the ones that have talked to me, they go, yeah, we know he's not always factually correct. But when we say tells it like it is, we mean about topics where we agree with him. Like he'll go after the swamp, right? And he'll talk about the bias in the news and he'll talk about the real problems with illegal immigration. That's what they mean when they say tells it like it is. And they say Hillary lies too. She's just a better liar. 
<laughs> well, I don't think that there, Hillary is, is, is any more truthful than Donald Trump. I mean, that much is pretty clear. I, here's what I would say to those people who say he tells it like it is on the topics you agree about. He's often lying when he's doing that. He's often saying things that are flat out not true in the topics that you care the most about. And then what ends up happening is you in people who think, well, when he's saying things I agree with, then, then he's telling it like it is. You're often being deceived. And it, that's one of the things that I think is the most pernicious about this is that he's so thoroughly and completely untruthful that even when he's agreeing with you, he's often telling you things and, and conveying quote unquote facts that are just wrong, which is so ironic considering his relentless discussion of quote fake news. And I'm not defending the media. I'm, there are many things that the media has done grotesquely wrong, but I will just tell you. And I have had to tell this, I live in the middle of Trump country and I've had this conversation a million times. And you say, you know, when he said this or that about uh, X or Y, that just wasn't accurate. It wasn't right. And, and so somebody is going to be angry over something Trump said and what Trump thinks Trump said wasn't true. And that to me is really, in a way, it's even more dangerous than when he says things that people look at and obviously roll their eyes and go, Trump's being Trump, you know, the crowd size of his, at his inauguration or the, his dad born in Germany when he wasn't like these, these kinds of things that nobody seems, nobody cares about. It's a lot worse in my view when he's actually stoking his own people by deceiving them about the truth. There you go. And that's, uh, the bad martini. So <laughs> now the crazy martini, we talked about this earlier where there was a article in the Washington post. Um, and it went after Ben Shapiro linking him again to the alt-right, which of course is ridiculous. He's an enemy of the alt-right. Uh, linking him to um, some very nefarious characters. And now the Washington Post has done it again? Yes, again. This is amazing. Second time in three days. Yesterday, it kind of got lost in all the Mueller report um, commentary. But uh, a, a Washington Post reporter printed a story in which he, uh, com- he said this. He was talking about how far-right European parties had locked, uh, latched onto the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral burning as, as uh, sort of symbolic of the loss of Western civilization. And, and this, is, this is, he actually, he actually compares. Um, he actually says that Ben Shapiro, and I'm looking for the exact quote, that, that Ben Shapiro had, uh, when he used the term Judeo-Christian, that some would say that's a euphemism for white. And then he goes on to say that Richard Spencer just made Shapiro's words more plain when he went out and out fully explicitly racist. Wow. And it's stunning. There is nothing, nothing about the term Judeo-Christian that implies whiteness, nothing at all. It is a term, it is a historically accurate term about the Jewish roots of Christianity and how the two faiths are inseparably intertwined. And so it is incredibly irresponsible. It's an inexcusable smear to to link those together. And that, it's a bad martini, but it's crazy bad. So it has to be our crazy martini. 
Yeah, and David, I even saw a little bit of the tweets coming back from Ben Shapiro saying, you know, I wrote a whole book about Western civilization and Judeo-Christian values and specifically said it was not about race. And you guys keep trying to say that I didn't really mean what I wrote in my book, but I mean what you say I mean, which is craziness and so wrong and irresponsible from a newspaper as esteemed as the Washington Post used to be. And that's why people start to lose respect for the media because they do stuff like this. And by the way, um, I totally agree with the whole Judeo-Christian values and Western and, and how they all are intertwined. But if you're just looking at today, what's the number one religion in South America? Christianity. Um, how many how many African-Americans in America are Christian? A huge number. How many Africans in Africa are Christian? An enormous number. The, and around the world, how many in China now? It's growing exponentially. To act like to be Christian or Jewish means you're white is just nonsensical. Oh, it's completely nonsensical. I mean, and Judaism is multi-ethnic. True. I mean, it's, you know, so the idea here that that this is just whiteness is is nuts. It's nuts. Maybe it's rooted in the fact that France is mostly white. Well, you know, guess what? <laughs> European countries build cathedrals and they're mostly white. That doesn't make a cathedral or the re, the the construction of a cathedral or the meaning of a cathedral having anything to do fundamentally with whiteness. And so yep. it is, yeah, it's just grotesque. And what's really happening here, it's a malicious effort, in my view, because can they actually be this ignorant about who, who Ben is? If they're, if they're this ignorant about who Ben is, they shouldn't write about him. But if they do know about who Ben is, then this looks an awful like, like a malicious attempt to discredit him by wrongly lumping him with truly vile racist figures. Yeah, guilt by association when there isn't even an association. It's guilt by actually just saying a couple words that somebody else has said. And if you're going to go down that route, how about this crazy martini? Hitler was a vegetarian and Hitler was a painter. So all vegetarians and painters <laughs> like Hitler. I mean, that's how crazy it could get on that martini. Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. But well, Ben, Ben, Ben can handle it, but I hate that he has to handle it. Absolutely. David, as always, those were some nice martinis. We appreciate the time. We appreciate the hard work you put in reading that entire Mueller report, <laughs> and we hope you get some sleep. Well, thanks thanks so much for joining me for this week. I, I, I hope that the bench mob has not uh, alienated too much of, Gre of Greg and Jim's audience. Absolutely. I, I hope so as well. Thanks, and <laughs> talk to you again. Thanks much. Thanks much.